if you will, take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 1 and 2. When you find it, just kind of hold on to it because today will start a little different and there's a chance you're not going to like it. Just do it anyway. It's okay. When you find Romans 12, 1 and 2, would you stand with me? And then I'm just going to ask if you would just walk down to the altar. We're going to pray, and then when you get back, I'm going to go right into reading. So keep your place. I learned that from the first service. So if you will, come join me down at the altar. I know. I'm sorry. As we pray today, I'm going to ask you to pray for you. Pray that you'll hear from God, that the power of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit will bring change in your life, and that you'll have courage to do what God's Word says we should do. Thank you all for coming. Father God, I thank you that you love us. Enough to send your son for his obedience to live down here among us, a perfect life, and to die is a perfect sacrifice. Father, today we ask that the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, will pierce our soul. That we will hear with spiritual ears, and that we'll have the courage to do what your word clearly says we should do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. When you get back, we'll look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I know it's going to be a very familiar passage for you. Look into God's word, we read, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. You may be seated. I'm a fan of oxymorons. I got some friends who are morons, so maybe that's why. When we were pregnant with our first child, I told Patty, if it were a boy, we would name him Moses Ronald and call him Moron after her dad. He didn't much care for it. She did not agree, and then she presented me with two girls. So I'm going to do my best not to fill the sermon with oxymorons today. It was difficult, but I felt like I should at least give you a taste of a few. So I'm going to give them in random order. 
there is a definite possibility they will be awfully good. These were my only choice. You're killing me. (laughs) At least Bob Cleveland laughed. I hope today the message will answer the following questions. Why should you offer yourself to be a living sacrifice? Is being a living sacrifice a one-time thing or something you must do every day? What happens to a person who is the living sacrifice? You probably already know that Paul wrote Romans. He was spiritually profound and intellectually brilliant. His writings contain deep wisdom, deep understanding. Some of the parts can be a little challenging to grasp. And we find that in chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul tells the church at Rome they need to be living sacrifices. What is a living sacrifice? Sounds like an oxymoron. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were usually dead animals. Sheep, goats, bulls, doves, pigeons. And when we hear Paul use the phrase living sacrifice, we should say, hmm, I wonder what he means by that. I'm not sure that Paul is referring to an action like Abraham and Isaac and that camping trip that causes Isaac to say, um, where is the lamb? The actions and attitudes of a follower of Christ should be different than those of a non-follower of Christ. Significantly different. If you're a follower of Christ, this message is for you. In verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, those of you who have given your life to Christ, he just spent the last 11 chapters telling them what it means to follow Christ. Today, if you're not a follower of Christ, but you want to be, today can be your day of salvation. If you, just, if you want to, just start reading Hebrews 1 and read through 11. When we get done, you'll be ready. Here's a little history, some context on Romans. As we look at Romans 12, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There are seven things in there that we need to take apart and study. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, true and proper worship. When we get to verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's three more. Don't be confirmed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If we spent just three minutes on each of those, that's 30 minutes right there. I'm going to try to be brief. Verse 1 starts with, therefore. So, you know, 
when you see one of those, you're going to go and find out what it's, yeah, therefore, good for you. Paul is giving a history lesson. It's a history of redemption. We know that the book of Romans was written somewhere between 56 and 58 A.D. Paul's purpose is to proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find strong doctrine. We find encouragement for those believers at the Church of Rome and for us. Remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. He had a special passion for those believers in Rome, even though at this point, Paul had not been to the church at Rome. So this letter, not only was that, it was a letter of introduction. In determining our therefore, we should check out some of Paul's previous statements. I'm going to fly through some scripture. You might just want to write down where in Romans so you can go back and read it. But in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In Romans 3, 9 through 11, Paul says, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans three twenty one. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, of Christ, he does not belong to God. Romans 8, 28. Now we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 37, 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future and powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. The main theme of the first 11 chapters is righteousness. Well, righteousness and forgiveness. Oh, and reconciliation. Um, justification is mentioned like 15 times. And there is security and eternal life. Then there's freedom from fear, worry, and dread, completely liberated from the guilt of the past, live a new life because I've been raised from the dead. So resurrection, I should probably mention adoption, and the promise that both the Holy Spirit and the Son intercede for us. So all of these, and I may have missed a couple, all of these are the mercies of God. Hold on to them. Put them in your pocket. We're going to pull them back out in just a second. When we get to 12.1, 
in the Greek, the first word we see is un. It means therefore. It's a pivotal point in the book of Romans. With this pivotal word, Paul turns his attention from doctoring to calling for a response. Today at the end of the service, we will give an invitation. It's a time for you to tell God, okay, I was listening. I heard you say whatever you heard God say, and I will be different. I'll need your help. It's a response that calls us to action. When we hear this, we must do something. Paul writes, therefore, and now we know what it's there for. I urge you, I'm begging you, don't just sit there, do something. Are you smelling what I'm selling? For the love of all that's good and pure and holy, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, Christians, he's not calling out the unsaved, probably because I don't see how you can make it through the first 11 chapters and not be saved. Listen, hear me, do this. Because of the mercies of God, that's the list I just gave you. You just put them in your pocket. You can pull them out and look at them. He's telling us, I'm telling you, the mercies of God from the first 11 chapters are the reason that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. There shouldn't be any way you can truly experience the mercies of God and not want to be a living sacrifice. Every time we're reminded of those mercies of God, we should be driven to worship. Just as baptism is an outward symbol for an inward change, being a living sacrifice is a picture of our personal commitment. We make each moment of every day. We have to continually be a living sacrifice. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. We climb on the altar and say, I'm here. I'm here to stay. Paul is saying, now that I've got your attention, I am encouraging you through the mercies of God, respond to what the Lord has done for you. When you have been changed, you should change. You should be controlled by the Spirit. I just read Romans 8 and 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. There are no exceptions to this. Paul is saying respond to what the Lord has done for you. What is this response? To present your body a living sacrifice. He makes this statement in comparison to the Old Testament, the picture, the practice of offering dead sacrifices to God. In contrast to that practice, the believer's response is to present his body, not a dead sacrifice, but a living one. A dead sacrifice has to be placed on the altar, and then it can't move. A living sacrifice chooses to go to the altar and to remain there. The living sacrifice is to be holy, to be set apart for the Lord's use and well-pleasing, doing those things 
with your body that are pleasing to him. All of these things are accomplished by the decisions that a believer makes. When we recognize what God has done through Jesus Christ, our only response is to give ourselves completely to him. Completely. Are you completely giving yourself to Christ? No, really, I'm asking you. Are you completely giving yourself to Christ? Are you a bona fide living sacrifice? Is your life full of holiness? Is your life pleasing to God? Anybody ever done the hokey pokey? We do a version of that every year at kids camp. You know how it goes. You take body parts, you stick in your right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, head, backside. You put it in, you shake it all about, do the hokey pokey, turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. There's a closing verse. We do it every year. And it says this. You put your whole self in. I can say, I'm pretty sure Paul never did the hokey pokey. But there's a chance that the members of the Church of Rome had. Not the song. But they just wanted to put in their right hand or their left hand. Maybe give to the church. Buy some candy for the fall festival. Get an OCC box. Maybe they put in their right leg or their left leg. Go to Selma for a day. Go to the upcoming project in Birmingham. For too long, ask the church, we've accepted partial sacrifice. It's time that we change the standard and only accept putting your whole self in and nothing less. It's not, this is from God right there in the scripture. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about works-based salvation. I'm not talking about doing something so God will love you more or doing something so you can go to heaven. Paul completely obliterates that idea, both in Galatians and Ephesians. When you're making your living sacrifice, you're simply just living how he tells you to live. This doesn't mean that we earn God's love or we earn his favor because we receive his love as a result of salvation. Romans 1 through 11 lays that out. My girls are grown. When they were small, they would make things for me at school. I have a couple of bowls. I displayed one. This was from Mallory. CW3. I have some from Megan also, but this one was on my desk. I don't know if you can tell. It says Dad right there. Doesn't say Mom on the other side, just Dad. You might not have recognized this as a bowl. You probably also didn't recognize its value to me. I value this because it was made with love. A desire to give me a gift. 
a gift that she had made with her own hands. In my first two churches, we had ceramic classes throughout the week, and they would finish, and I would load the kiln and fire the kiln and take things out of the kiln. And I made some pretty cool bowls myself. I didn't really need my girls to make a bowl for me, but I'm glad they did. God doesn't need us to be a living sacrifice. He's the creator, the sustainer of everything. And while he doesn't need us to be sacrifices, he wants us on our own to say, here I am. Not just out of obedience, but because we love him and we appreciate all he has done for us, those mercies of God. This is how living our lives as sacrifices affect our relationship with God. We live in service to God. We simply return love and respect to the one who has already given us everything. I hope you will never try to earn what the Lord has given us by grace. Let's talk about sacrifice. For God to accept the dead sacrifice, it had to be a perfect animal that was killed and sacrificed. Since it was dead, it had to be placed on the altar. God, however, accepts the living sacrifice while it's imperfect. Because we are made perfect in Christ because he was our perfect sacrifice. As a living sacrifice, we voluntarily place ourselves on the altar. Living implies life. Life is an all-day, everyday experience. Offering ourselves to God is not something that should be contained in a 60 to 75-minute worship service once a week. A living sacrifice is one that is alive and continuous in action. This means worship occurs not just in the sanctuary, but in your whole world. It means that worship moves away from just this hour to all the hours of our lives. It moves away from one activity of coming to worship to all of our activities, every relationship, task, opportunity, every problem, every success, every failure. Jesus is the grace giver, the dead raiser, the one who saves us. He is the object of our worship. By comparison, we're just sinners. And our sin has deadly consequences. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place, and by taking our place, he took on the consequences and the punishment of our sin. So now there is no condemnation for us. We are saved from the fires of hell and the eternal presence of not being with God to living with him forever that is an act of grace and mercy it's the ultimate gift we should never forget it when we remember it it should drive us to response response of worship it should be enough motivation for us to give our whole lives to God if reflecting on God's mercies 
don't move us, then we're in trouble. If you can hear the mercies of God and, and there's not something in your soul that starts to bubble, you got some problems. Where would we be without God's love and his forgiveness? Where would we be without God's presence in our lives? What kind of hope would we have without him? Consider your family, your friends, your job, our church. Do we deserve any of those on our merit alone? No. We deserve death. We failed miserably. Jesus has always demanded all when following him. He never made an exception. Not once. The Apostle Paul gives theological framework for what it means to follow Christ completely and the significant changes that following Christ completely makes in a person's life. After telling his readers to make themselves living sacrifices, Paul goes on to fully reveal what it means to live as a living sacrifice. We find that in verse 2. In verse 2, we see three elements to becoming a living sacrifice. One, not conformed to the ideals of the world. Number two, transformed by an inward renewal that works itself outward. Number three, being able to discern the will of God. First, we see that a living sacrifice is not conformed to what the world looks like. This means that a believer who desires to be a living sacrifice to God rejects whatever he or she sees in the world that does not line up with Scripture. It means you got to know Scripture. And you got to look at that and say, but that's not how a believer does whatever. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul describes how humanity turned away from God and refused to acknowledge Him as Lord. So God gave them over to their foolish ways of thinking. From there, people became more and more depraved, running further and further away from God's ways. It happened to them. It'll happen to us. Your everything has to line up with God's Word. As followers of Christ, we have to reject ideas and practices that are contrary to what God says is right. People will see that we are disciples of Christ when we oppose the things that grieve the heart of God. When you're willing to stand up and say, I, I'm not going to do that. It's just not right. Second, a living sacrifice is to be inwardly transformed and renewed. And then it will work its way out into action. We're good at action. We're good at bringing things and doing things and going places. But this has to get inside, and then it works its way out to you can't help but action. There's a difference. Doing things because it looks good and doing things because you are a living sacrifice. Salvation is not clean yourself up, get your life together, and Jesus will love you. It's the complete opposite. Salvation is God forgiving us reaching down into the filth of our hearts and transforming us into new creatures who love him and who exist to do his will. Rather than focusing on and doing and saying the right things, we should be focused on the renewal of our hearts. This changes how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. Inward change naturally works its way outward. 
Jesus scolded the Pharisees. He said, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside will be clean also. To change our behavior, we have to invest time and energy into renewing our minds and our hearts through prayer, fasting, and Bible study. We're called to do those. Finally, Paul tells us that a person who is committed to being a living sacrifice will be able to discern the will of God by testing. The word testing can also be translated as to discern, to examine, to approve. Basically, Paul is saying that as the Holy Spirit works in our heart, we grow in our understanding of who God is. We develop the ability to test a situation, and then we determine the direction we want to go so that it lines up with God's Word and God's desire for our lives. It's a hard formula. It doesn't just happen. But it's an incredible promise. We don't have to guess at God's will for our life and just hope we don't mess up. We prayerfully seek Him if we take the situation up against His Word. He will give us the ability to see His will. It may not look like an angel coming to you in a dream or an audible voice saying, take the job. But God will navigate us trying to live our lives in service to Him helps us find His will. How can a living, how can we be a living sacrifice to God? Paul's encouragement to the Romans and us is not easy. To be a living sacrifice means you live every minute of every day as an offering in service to the Lord. It goes against our culture. Our culture is all about self-promotion and making our own dreams come true. It means laying down our own ambitions and dreams and gifts and fears and saying to God, do with me whatever you want me to do. I am your servant. That's how Paul starts out, Romans. He introduces himself as, I'm God's servant. We must devote ourselves to having our minds renewed and learn how to discern the will of God for our life. The best way to know that process is just to look back at the life of Jesus. Jesus not only saves us from our sins, he brings us into the presence of the Father, but he lived a perfect life for us to copy. Jesus demonstrated what it means to be a living sacrifice. Matthew and Philippians, we see that Jesus was God in flesh, but he humbled himself and lived to serve others. He called out sin. He rejected the ideals of the culture around him. His mind was in complete harmony with the Father. He knew the will of God, and he always acted on it. Jesus gave us a perfect example of always being ready to follow what the Father says to do. We're going to mess up. But Jesus is still right there to give us grace. And to remind us, okay, new day, right back on that altar. The more we love Jesus, the more we will desire to be like him. When Paul says, do not be conformed, he means quit letting the world shape you. The world will shape you. The world will teach you everything you need to know to be successful. As long as they get to define success, 
Paul said we need to quit allowing the world in which we live to dictate how we will think and how we will act. Instead, the believer is to be continually being transformed by the renewing of his mind. The word for mind there in the Greek is the word noose. It has to do with the perceptive abilities of the mind. When God created your brain, your mind, he gave you the ability to perceive. When he says to prove, that word means to test, examine, prove, to scrutinize, to see if something's genuine or not. It's like with metals, and you're seeing if gold is truly gold. You're spending the time to do the work, recognizing if something is genuine, examining something, approving it, deeming it worthy. The believer is to test all things and conclude what God's will is in each situation of his life. These verses paint a picture of a Christian growth process and show how each believer should serve the Lord. You don't get to say today, I'll do that when I'm older. If you got saved this morning, if you got saved 50 years ago, the call is for you to be a living sacrifice and in the best way you can today to do God's will. And when you start doing that, early in your Christian life, it shows because you grow, you're different. God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us seek things out, perceive what is God's will in each situation. All of this happens because we have a personal, intimate love relationship with the Father. There are a lot of believers who would rather put their trust in following rules and regulations than have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Many Christians are uncomfortable talking about having an intimate love relationship with God because so many of us have made our relationship with God a topic that we don't freely talk about. We're too afraid to say it out loud because we're more interested in man's approval than living out our life as a living sacrifice. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be excluded from the cool group. We refuse to be a living sacrifice. If there's a chance, we'll be the laughingstock. Paul says we are to serve the Lord from out of our reasoning process. As we reason the things out of our mind, we seek God's will and make our decision based on his will. Paul says do not conform to the pattern of this world. That means stop continually being fashioned by this world, by the media, by your family, by your friends. He continues, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So years ago, probably 16, 17 years ago, we were doing a mission trip with the church in Kentucky. It was David Corum's dad's church. And they needed money for material, and we were behind and just didn't have it. So I offered to do a 100-mile hike, five 20-mile days. We would take pledges. We took pledges from churches, and we got enough to buy all the materials of that job. So I had hiked 
four days, 80 miles. At the end of the fourth day, I was at a road, picked up the phone, got a signal, called, talked to Patty. Patty said, Megan wants to talk to you. Before I left, I knew that Tyler Ray's mom was sick and was probably going to pass while I was gone. And I explained to him, I'm not going to be able to, to make the funeral because I'm doing this mission effort. And he said, okay. Megan gets on the phone and said, Dad, Tyler's mom passed. And he really wants you to come to the funeral. I said, oh, I got 20 miles to hike tomorrow. What time's the funeral? It's at 3. Well, don't hike 20 miles <laughs> that quick. So I said, let me talk to Mom. Patty got on the phone. I said, you know, I feel like I need to be at that funeral. I'm going to keep hiking today until it's just too dark to see. I had Cheha left. Cheha is the highest point in the state. I started at Duggar Mountain, the highest point on the trail. Brother Mike gave a $100 donation for the Cheha. He said, I want to pay for the highest point in the state <laughs> when you do it. So that night I went ahead and I, I climbed Cheha, past Blue Mountain Shelter, down Cheha. Went as far as I could go and finally stopped. I didn't have any water at the time of year. There wasn't water anywhere. I got to the Chihaw store. They were already closed. So I had no water. I had enough to fix dinner, and I had enough for a little sip the next morning. So I finally got enough signal to call Patty and say, well, I've got like 12 miles to do tomorrow, so uh, can you pick me up at 12? So I got up the next day to hike to meet her at 12, and I have water. And I'm on the section from Chihaw to Adams Gap is Rock Garden. There's a stairway to heaven. Hikers call it stairway to something else if you're going down. But it's a rough, rough section. And there was one section that rocks were everywhere. And I didn't think physically I could take another step. I was absolutely sure I was supposed to do this trip. And I also felt like I needed to be there for Tyler. So I remember walking up and seeing this huge rock. And just walking up and just falling down face first on the altar. And I said, I don't have anything else. You're going to have to do something or I'm just done. I don't know how long I was there. I prayed for a while, got up, started walking. I hadn't walked but a couple hundred feet. And there was a shade, which was amazing. And in the shade was a rock. And on the rock was some water. So I went over, I got my filter, I began to filter the water off this rock, thinking, well, at least I'll get a sip. I filled up a bottle and drank it, the whole thing right then. Filled up two more bottles and started hiking. I went back to that spot. Every time I hike that section, I go, trying to find that rock with the water. It's not there. I'm absolutely certain that it was just a father providing for one of his children who was willing to go to the altar and say, I can't do this. I'm doing my best to be obedient. You're going to have to help. And he did. So we have an altar. And we started this. I saw just about all of you walk to it. So I know you know the way. We've looked at the mercies of God. You've heard them. You've been reminded of all that God has done for you. It's the day the day you say, okay, I start today living sacrifice. You either do or you don't. I'm not your judge. I won't 
judge you, promise, come or don't come. But like Paul, I urge you, brothers and sisters, present your body a living sacrifice. So if you've been reading chapters 1 through 11, today could be your day of salvation. I don't know how far you got, but you don't have to go very far before you realize that you're a sinner and God will forgive you. You can come during the invitation. We'll pray, and today can be your day of salvation. We started this by asking the Father to tell you what you need to do. I ask that you stand with me as we pray. If you need to come this way, come this way. Take care of business wherever, but don't hear the word of God and walk away. Father God, I thank you for today. Father, I know that this is one of those passages where we rejoice in those first 11 chapters. It's so awesome that you love us that much. Father, when we get to that word, therefore, and you tell us to be a living sacrifice, it's hard. Father, today, help us to say that October 2nd, 2022, I became a living sacrifice. And help us to be that living sacrifice every moment of every day until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.